I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and joining me on the other line, lounging in the Satellite Branch in scenic Hamilton, Ontario, it is your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Hello! Jesus. <laughs> I just, I really, what I wanted to open with was uh, lyrics from WAP, but I think it might be too much for a Tuesday. <laughs> too much. Too much. WAP is too much for a Tuesday. I just never know what I'm going to get when I throw it to her. Wow. That's, that could be a WAP lyric too. Wow. Um, <laughs> I just take that pause and I don't know what's coming at me out, out the other end. What? Friends, this is episode what? one. <laughs> Friends, this is episode 199. Ooh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I've been laughing about that joke for three weeks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I remember last episode, and all I could think about afterwards was just like, Oh, oh man. Oh. <laughs> Next episode, one, good. 199. Ooh. <laughs> because we are not celebrating episode 200 until such time as the world restores itself, which may be never. Fauci feels good about 2021. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got some, I got some, uh, some bills on 2021. The Fouch, the, Fou- the Fouch feels good about 2021. So, I mean, fingers crossed. But we will not come anywhere near episode 200 until such time as it is appropriate to do so. So if you want to go back and listen to any of our other 199 episodes or any of our other episode 199s, you just go wherever you get your audio content. That may be Spotify, that may be Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, what have you. Look up Geek Down Podcasts. We will be there. You hit subscribe, follow, daps, good game. Big up, backslap, whatever you feel like, whatever option is presented to you, you click it, which means new episodes will be delivered to you by your mans. Oh, Chauncey Frostopoulos the third, geek down internet out. There you go. <laughs> oh, girl. You such a role, and I didn't want to disturb you, and then all of a sudden there's this space and time, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's. Chauncey. How could I forget Chauncey? Ooh, it's Chauncey time. Girl, he's just going to drop those episodes straight into your device. You won't even see it coming, but you'll be delighted it happened. If you would like to thank Chauncey and us for connecting you two, you two love birds. Chauncey loves all people. You can thank us on twitter.com slash geekdownpod. That's where the show hangs out mostly. There is a Facebook, but why would you ever? I don't know, for, for fun... To see what your angry uncle thinks about the world. <laughs> to find out what the readers of Dipshit Uncle Monthly are saying. <laughs> Shouts to John Oliver for that joke. Friends, if you would like to uh, support this endeavor financially, I mean, we appreciate it. It's a weird time. We are still nowhere near universal basic income in this country. So we would appreciate if you chose to part with some of your money, but we don't encourage it. <laughs> Keep all your nickels and your quarters, because in the coming apocalypse, you may you may need to use them as as weapons. Or <laughs> I don't think we'll have currency anymore. Um, you might need to melt them down to make like a spear or something. What did I just hear? I heard the states is having a coin shortage because. Well, I mean, we don't have. I have a whole giant thing of pennies. Because I am sure they're gonna, the copper is gonna be important at some point. Um, 
and I'll make a lot of money off of them. My God, we, if, when I was saving for Japan, did I ever take my change in? I had like 50 bucks in change. I was like frittering away oh for my, my Japan trip. That might still be under my no, sink, y'all. you would leave that money alone. <laughs> I could definitely club somebody with that. Like definitely, Kate is absolutely correct. Save your pennies, your nickels, your quarters. Well, there aren't pennies anymore, but save your nickels and quarters. Put them in a sock. It's easily, it's easily deployable to bludgeon yeah. people who will come and take your preciouses. I mean, that's a little... I'm actually not feeling quite that way anymore. I definitely <laughs> had last week where I was like, everything's on fire. Literally, California is on literally, fire. Literally. Um, uh, but no, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better this week. I don't know why. <laughs> I've been having a lot of sugar, so maybe it has something to do with it. Don't interrogate it. Just, just enjoy it. Just ride it out. Friends... I always say this might be a shorter episode. I said that last week, and it ended up being a full 10 minutes shorter than the episode before it. So I make no promises this episode. Kate and I have already been on the phone for 90 minutes before I hit the record button, so that shows you the kind of mood we're in today. Yeah, we're in a talky mood. We're real, real chatty. We're real chatty types today. But I did want to say... Kathy's. I did want to say one point. One point that's been in my head for a couple weeks, and I've been waiting to bring it up on the show. As said earlier, this show originates, emanates from the Canadian city of Toronto, Ontario, home of home of Drake, home of the recently eliminated NBA champions. Sad face. No, God, please, no, no! Pascal, what the fuck were you doing? Anyway, I just get the scores pinned to my home screen. It's a nice little feature of Android. Maybe Apple has it as well. I don't know, but you can, like, pin the, pin the score, and it'll just, like, the numbers will roll. That's all I have, because I don't have, like, proper television. So all I had was rolling numbers, so definitely this game and the one before it that went to double overtime, and I just kept seeing those numbers. I was like, do I need I need to do safety checks on people who are actually watching this? Like, I'm stressed just watching right. numbers roll by. But Toronto, for quite some time, has kind of tongue-in-cheek within the city acknowledged that the unofficial mascot of this city is the raccoon. This yeah. town is littered with raccoons everywhere. Night boys, as we call them. Um... Let's be honest, there, there is a game in which the city is called Raccoon City. <laughs> you're, you're, you're claiming Resident Evil takes place in Toronto? It does. Is that confirmed? Raccoon City is that Toronto. confirmed? Definitely cited by NPR in 2018 as the raccoon capital of the world. I see that article. I see no I mean, mention of Resident Evil. There is Evil, also but... an article about NCBC calling us Raccoon City. Um. We are definitely a raccoon city, if not the raccoon city. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, Caitlin, that is incorrect. Raccoons what? are done. Raccoons, <gasps> are, raccoons are over. Do you know who this city belongs to? Ooh. Skunks. No. This is Skunk City. Friends, the life I live now is less a life of overnights and more a life of early mornings. Because I have to get to work sometimes as early as 5 a.m. Which means to get at work at 5 a.m., I have to wake up at 3 and try to catch a 4 o'clock-ish bus. Which gets me to work very early. But that's fine. I am a key holder. I can make a coffee and wait for the other staff to show up. I am going to be late for work one day because I'm going to get sprayed by a skunk. Because at 3.30, 3.45 a.m., they're fucking everywhere. Did this not did this not happen before? Before like, were you not I mean I was never up this early. I'd see skunk once in a while. 
like six or seven a.m. if I had to leave if I was going somewhere that early. But I'm talking like multiple skunks. Like I come down the steps from my apartment building, and I see them like in the front rose bushes, and I pause, and I'm like, just be cool, just be cool, relax. The tail is up, and I'm like, relax, homie. We don't need to make this a thing. I kind of back away to the side, and then as I round the corner, coming out of the hedge is another two fucking skunks, and I'm like, mm, I'm like, I'm going to get fucking sprayed one day. Just don't scare them. They'll be fine. And don't run over them with your car. Yeah, they sound. They seem and like you a, don't even have a car. They so. seem like a really chill bunch. Um, but that that was my theory. Now my theory is that the skunks take over from four to five because sometimes I have to be at work for six, which pushes the entire you know process back an hour, and rats are from three to four because I saw more rats walking for the bus yesterday than I've ever seen in my life in this city. And just in general, I grew up in rural Ontario and I've seen more wildlife, possibly just because they're around people more. So they give less fucks, but I've seen more wildlife in metropolitan Toronto than I ever did in rural Amherstburg, Ontario. Aside from one time, I almost shit my pants when I walked outside and a possum was in my recycling bin. It's the only time I've ever been up close with nature back in Amherstburg. But here, yes, there are raccoons fucking everywhere. So I don't take my garbage out at night because I know I'm going to flip that bin and there's just going to be a family of them in there like, (laughs) stay up late enough. You will hear them fighting, which is literally sounds like the apocalypse. Um, the best thing I ever saw, besides the raccoons in our backyard that used to play the game, um, let's push each other off of the top of the tree. <laughs> uh, it was like a, a huge family of raccoons. My dad invented so many things to get rid of them because he hated them so much. Um, the best thing besides that was one day I was on a bus, and I guess I was going to, like, wet, like past you west of like Etobicoke, like I was, I was heading into there. Mm. Um, and there was a raccoon on it. It was, this was like maybe four, three or four o'clock, um, in the PM. So in the early afternoon, bright, sunny day, in the PM. there's a raccoon who's, he looked like an old, like Portuguese man. Like he had his <laughs> yeah. tummy out and he was like sitting on a step and he had his arms back, like resting on the step above him. Like, just, like, like, you know, like, just chill as fuck. I was like, what are you doing? He didn't care. People walking by. Just like, this is my step. Lazy Trash Panda. Lazy Trash Panda is pretty, is pretty dope. And you do see those often. But I'm just like, I've seen zero raccoons since I started keeping these hours and just skunks everywhere. Everywhere. So that's my biggest, that's my biggest update for the week. Um, I don't have any big updates, but I really, so you mentioned Facebook and what you can do on Facebook. Um, (laughs) Fuck off on Facebook. That's what you can do. So I get a lot of ads on Facebook now. (laughs) I used to just get a few and now it's, it's almost like every fifth or sixth, um, post is like an ad and sometimes I can't tell and sometimes it's very maybe not quite that many but it it seems like a lot more than I used to get um and some of it's stuff I'm interested in and some of it's stuff I'm not interested in um and but there is one ad for something called royal portraits royal portraits yeah 
So the idea is that you send in a picture of somebody and they will they will paint a what? pretty large canvas. What? With them looking royal. Whether and I think you can give them sort of a time period um or who you'd like to them to look like or what you'd like to, them to be wearing. But I don't know if it's because I'm not seeing it with the sound on or something, but they do these videos of basically people like opening right. their portraits and being and and being like, oh wow, or just like being surprised by the by the by the pictures, by the presents. However, in this ad, and I've seen like three different versions of them, no one is ever happy with getting this portrait. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They're just like, they're like, oh, wow. And then you see like, I, okay, I, I, I like something called, they're called micro expressions <laughs> and I'm pretty good at reading them. Um, it's a real science, but it's basically, there's like a, a base. I think it's like six or six to 10 of them. Um, but you just see like a, 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 this blink of like sadness in their eyes, like, they're like, oh, this is my gift. Like, they just are not, not amused. So I, I don't know. I don't think anyone from Royal Portraits is going to hear this. But you might want to work on your ads because they don't inspire confidence that this is going to go over well. <laughs> um, maybe it's the people they're choosing. Oh, they may be. Maybe, again, it's because I don't have the sound on. But they, these people do not look. They initially they're like, "Oh, you did this," and they're pr- they have, they're, they're they're probably not cheap, and it's essentially a gag gift. Like nobody's gonna hang that in their home, really. You got to be a real. I mean, I would, but you got to be a real like, yeah. got to be a real special type to want to hang that in your home. That's a great well, fucking idea, he, though. He, here's the better idea. Mm. This is what they're up against. There is the exact same service, and maybe it's some of the same people, but mm. it's the exact same service, except it's your pet. <laughs> royal so por- like, royal portraits Muffy, for your pets. Muffy is Muffy, but with that has like like a general's garb from like the mid 18th century. Like it's amazing those are everyone who opens those are like oh my god (laughs) it's duke and he looks like a duke we're like oh look at rex be dressed like a king like that because people who own pets are crazy like they get crazy about their god i'm totally gonna get my dad i'm gonna get my dad and his like his bff who we tragically had to uh had to put down last year oh my god yeah and and he was this is it right he was You've a giant fucking Leonberger, and that dog is built to be, like, painted <laughs> in, yeah, in exactly. majestic fashion. So, exactly. So, like, that is a great idea. And people are definitely going to hang that up, right? Because if you hang up a portrait of yourself, people are like, what is wrong with you? But if you hang up a portrait of your dogs, like, that's just funny. You're just a fun person. <laughs> if you hang up a portrait of yourself, you're just an egotistical maniac. Uh, anyways, so it's just this weird, Facebook's weird, man. I get all kinds of ads for, for things. Like I always say, they think I am a, uh, a black Japanese woman who speaks French, who also has a lot of babies and a lot of pets. That's what they have decided I am. I watch a lot of black hair videos. 
I do a lot of French stuff on my computer. Uh, I watch a lot of videos about Japan and South Korea and China, so they're just very confused about what's going on. So I'm getting all these weird ads. They also think I'm into crystals and astronomy, uh, or astrology rather. So anyways, that is, that is, those are my updates for the week, just coming across these ads going, ugh. Well, then I guess if that's the only real updates we're sharing, personally, we'll move on to some news then. Momentous day for Caitlin McKinnon. Momentous week Very much so. for Caitlin yes. McKinnon. And we got the first look at Denis Villeneuve's Dune adaptation. Dune. Fear is the main killer. Kate, how are you feeling about it? Yes. Um, I think I'm okay. Um, we know I have a problem where I don't have strong opinions about things, <laughs> or I do. But Kate, That's like, Kate yeah. as per every yeah. article written about anything ever, we need to talk about the Dune trailer. I mean, I, I'm i excited to see it because I, I like Dune. Um, and there have been three notable, oh, sorry, two notable Dune productions. 1986? 84? Something like that. Um, and the uh, Dune miniseries and Children of Dune miniseries that came after it. Um, that, uh, which at the time, I was like, this was great. And then trying to watch it with Chris, I was like, this is not, <laughs> this did not age well. It's like Babylon 5, like it did not age well at all. The writing was still pretty good, um, but did not age well. Um, so I am excited about it. I'm also excited because I thought they were trying, like they did with the 19, um, I have to look it up, 1984 version. Um, I thought that they were trying to like condense the whole story into one movie. It's getting at least two, um, right? Yeah, I don't know how many parts. I didn't look that up, but someone mentioned something in the like in the YouTube comments or something about yeah, and this is part one, and you can kind of see that. I don't exactly know where they're going to end it, um, but I'm pretty happy about that. Chalamet looks pretty pretty good. I mean, I've never had a very specific vision of what Paul looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the casting by and large. Um, uh, that's pretty good. Um, I don't know. It looks good. And and that's the thing, right? It's fun to see the things that you like look good on screen. I mean, let's face it, 1984 was not the pinnacle of um, effects. And neither was, like, what was it, like, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. Um, we've reached a point where effects in the last couple of years, like, they, they tend to stay looking good. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, their worm looks fantastic. Good looking sandworm. Yep. Good looking sandworm. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. Damn sandworm. You look good. (laughs) You look good. Back at it again with those. (laughs) Sandy, Sandy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the rest of that is. Think about it. Um, back at it again with those Sandy scales. There we go. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that um it's supposed to come out december 19th mm-hmm. something nice to look forward to i'm glad they're not i think I, I don't know maybe they are just releasing it in theaters but i don't think so i feel like most places are trying to release it or at least quickly release it online as well yeah so yeah i'm excited um we'll see we always see how closely they played at the book 
Um, would you say you are cautiously optimistic? I think I would like to say I'm cautiously optimistic. How's that for a throwback? Ain't busted out that one in a while. That's, that's uh, yeah. I feel like the whole sh- our whole show is cautiously optimistic. Yeah, sometimes we're pretty um, nihilistically pessimistic, but... That's true. Um, but yeah, so I think it looks good. Um, all Everyone they got, they're all good actors, right? And that's really what, what makes it. Um, Denny Villeneuve kind of don't make bad at this point. Like, he might make weird or not what you wanted, i.e. Blade Runner. But yeah. I mean, it's never been bad. It's never been like... And he's, he's great. His shots are great. Again, because it's cinematic September. He takes great shots. Um, and in an epic like Dune, you kind of want you want good cinematography, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see how Chalamet does. Paul is a very weird role. Mm-hmm. You're playing a god, like a god king, basically. Um, well, that's a later book, but anyways, you're basically just you have to balance a lot of things in the role of Paul, and we'll see what that's like. Um, because Paul is a little bit of a Mary Sue. Um, boy, is he? So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. We'll see. We'll see what happens. They did change one role from a a man to a a woman, which I thought was interesting. I like that. Uh, like touches of diversity. It's like it's like a sneaky way of getting it in there without like the fanboys like <laughs> fucking freaking out. Um, I feel like eventually we could just like. I hate to say, but like slowly but surely, we could just start changing all the roles until everyone's just, you know, black and we have like, or people of color and like people won't freak out. Uh, that's my dream anyways. In the interest of diversity, allowing to speak for all of us, we're just a collective. Hey, Zendaya. Hey. <laughs> um, I mean, Chani's always been a weird... That's how I pronounce her name. I know it's that one weird thing where I've like basically only ever read it. Mm. Um, so I have like the, her name in my head as a certain way. Like but... when my mother thought the name Penelope was Penelope because she never met a Penelope before. That's really cute. I know. Remember when uh, Harry Potter came out and everyone was like, "How do you say Hermione?" Hermo- like how Hermione. Hermione. It's Hermione. Um, but yeah, I I like that. I mean, Channy's like. The one thing I'm wondering about, sorry, because we're actually like talking about the trailer now. So Bardem plays, oh, what's his name? Sig, oh, I can't remember. He's like the head of the Fremen. Uh, he's the head of the Fremen. Um, and he has an accent and that's fine. But did, will Zendaya have an accent? Like Zendaya, like, will she have an accent? Will all the Fremen have an accent then? If they all had different accents, I'd be fine with that. But you can't have Bardem have an accent and then nobody else. And it didn't sound like she had an accent. That's my only problem <laughs> with the trailer. Jesus. I was like, does everybody have an accent? Somebody's got, quib- it Somebody's got quibbles. Just- We've got quibbles. Some things to be kept consistent. Oh, well, moving on. Uh, one of the two hosts of this show greatly enjoy watching Disney live-action remakes. So, Kate, have we seen Mulan yet? No. Are you going to see Mulan? Eh. Some people have seen Mulan. Some people are never going to see Mulan. And some people don't want you to see Mulan. Uh, This is not something I was familiar with at all until recently, until the movie actually hit streaming sites. Normally, we would probably be talking about the fact that, like, it went to Disney Plus for a $30 fee. Okay. Odd. Odd, but not unpredictable choice. Um, 
you got to try to make your money back somehow in a pandemic for this movie you made. But uh, I did not really understand what Boycott Mulan was about. Have you heard about this? Uh, a little bit, yeah, bits and pieces. So it's twofold. Um, on one hand, the hashtag kind of started when the star of the film, Lu Yifei, who plays Mulan in the live-action remake, um, during the summer, when pro-democracy protests were breaking out across Hong Kong, kind of posted some videos sympathizing with the police, which de facto does not pledge support to the protesters who were protesting mm -hmm. Beijing and Beijing's attempts to stamp down uh, democracy in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong activists on both sides of the Pacific were like, yo, that ain't cool. Um, as we all know, if you are a multinational con global conglomerate, you're going to have a complicated relationship with China because China is so lucrative a market, especially with a project like Mulan, which was expected to do better in China than anywhere else. Not that they expected it to do bad, but they're like mainland China. That's who this movie for. So this is from uh, The Verge from September 7th. The remarks came at a time when the whole world was watching Hong Kong erupt into pro-democracy protests. Notably, the NBA became involved in the situation after Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey tweeted his support of the protests, leaving the NBA's partner in China to refuse to carry two preseason games. The general manager eventually walked back his tweets, leading to more protests in support of Hong Kong stateside. Apple also found itself at the center of the controversy after it banned HK Map Live, a pro-democracy app used by protesters in Hong Kong. Liu kind of clarified her comments to The Hollywood Reporter this year, saying, quote, it's a, obviously a very complicated situation, and I'm not an expert. I just really hope it gets involved soon, resolved soon. So, I mean, maybe she just made a, you know, didn't like the violence and made a clumsy statement in response right. to them, possibly. That's one piece of the hashtag boycott Mulan controversy. The second part is that now that the movie's out, the film's credits, and this story now comes from io9, the movie's out, people have seen it, and the film's credits revealed the company had shot part of the film in a region of China where, forgive, forgive the pronunciation, Kate probably actually follows this story in more detail than I do. It's the, the Uyghurs? Is that what they, they're called? I believe it's, I think it might be Uyghurs. Um, so this is an area of China with a Muslim majority that Beijing has been going out of its way to uh, uh, re-educate <laughs> to be cute about it and to kidnap and force in uh, re-education camps is the more accurate if less delicate way of putting it. If you want the 15-minute version, I mean, you can look up John Oliver Uyghur, which is U-I-G-H-U-R. He did a piece um, on it earlier this year. Yeah, it is Uyghur. Um, Just a laugh. So when that got out, people were like, what? You want to say something about that? And Disney's response uh, response to that has been, according to this io9 article, uh, vague. Over the past <laughs> quote, over the past week, Disney has stayed relatively silent about the growing backlash to the revelation that the movie's credits gave quote special thanks to eight Xinjiang region-based wings of the Chinese government, including multiple CCP propaganda departments and the Public Security Bureau in the city of Turpan. 
Turpan has been at the end epicenter of allegations that the Chinese government spend, spent years surveilling the Muslim minority, Uyghur people with increasingly draconian methods, including accusations of forced abortion and sterilization. Uh, so Disney being in business with these folks is a little, huh? Um, yeah. Disney commented on that this week. <laughs> According to io9, uh, their comments are somehow almost worse than staying silent. Speaking to Variety, Disney CFO Christine McCarthy briefly touched upon the film's credits. Quote, it's common to acknowledge in a film's credits the national and local governments that allowed you to film there, McCarthy told the trade. It has generated a lot of publicity. Let's leave it at that. Unquote. <laughs> wow. Hmm. So basically, like, it's that thing when you're like, this is a really complicated issue. And that's your, like, fallback for, like, not taking any responsibility. Um right. I'm not even saying, you know, you shouldn't have filmed there, you shouldn't have filmed the movie, or, you know, whatever, but, like, the Uyghur stuff is pretty on the record. It's pretty out there. They film documentaries. John Oliver shows footage of a Chinese, something that aired in China where, like, a Uyghur woman was, like, obscured by a cactus. Like, that's how they chose to block her, because they just don't want a Muslim person, like, on their televisions. <laughs> If you don't know anything about that issue, it's mad fucked up. And Disney just trying to have it both ways on this article. Yeah, that would probably lead some people to shift Boycott Mulan to Boycott Disney, which is what has been happening this week and into the weekend. Um, Is Mulan any good? I don't know. Will we probably ever know? I've heard... Not while it's $30. There is a person who I love dearly who they have said they tend to like things that maybe are a little bit more on the like trashy side. Like not, they also like really good things, but they just, they have a high tolerance for things that are maybe, as they put it, there's like bad trash that like is unwatchable and like funny trash that you can like, like um, when Riverdale was just like hot garbage, but it was fun garbage. Whereas now it's apparently just like unwatchable garbage. They, they will watch watchable garbage. Um, and they said that Mulan was not the watchable type of garbage. <laughs> like it was, it was really bad. They turned Mulan into a sorceress. Oh, she's a witch. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly what I did. I went, oh, <laughs> exactly the same thing. No, I was like, no thanks. That's, yeah, I'm no, I'm good. That's not. Sorry, yeah. I just I just saw a related story in the sidebar to that first article saying that uh, surprise to no one Reuters is reporting that China is blocking like any and all press coverage of the Milan movie in China because that's what else they do that's yes so there's like I mean issues with China are hopefully going to come to a head eventually Um, please don't say that I don't want to think about what issues with China coming to a head look like I know but I mean that's it's a very it's it's hard to be like China is dangerous and scary and and are doing horrible things, but also not be like, but be like, but I have nothing against people who are Chinese, right? So there's one thing to be like, your government is, and it's funny, I will bring this up in a bit, but one of the books I'm reading, um, her family is from China and she's, she's like, China's government is hot garbage. Like she's, she's very open about that. They've always had, or not, sorry, not always, but they have for many, many, many years had a terrible government and have had awful abuses to them as citizens. This is not new. Um, but 
it's really, I, I think I brought it up last week where I was saying in this situation um, with the, you know, Uyghurs, there is nothing you can do. It is a governmental issue. It is a UN issue. They're the only ones who could do something. Like you can't even, donations to Amnesty International have closed because they can't get in. There's no, they're not allowed to provide funding. They're not allowed to provide help. No one's getting in to see or get footage or or know exactly what's going on. Um, It's very scary and very sad. And I mean, there are a couple of places you can try uh, to donate money to in Canada that support Muslims and Muslims in China. Um, but specifically that issue, there's like very little you can do as a single person. And that's why people start and hopefully will do more of the, I will use my money to boycott things. It's just, it's sad that Disney has, they make some really good things, but it's, it's like when we were talking we earlier, you guys were not here for this, sorry, but we were talking about Amazon. <laughs> there are some great things about Amazon, but them as a company, they are not great. Disney makes some great things artistically. I love their theme parks, but they are not a great company. And that can be um, and- a hard needle to thread. And speaking of hard threading needles and people speaking with their wallets, yeah. maybe not intelligently, I have a follow-up, Kate. I have a follow-up to a story we talked about a few weeks ago about the film Les Mignons. Yes. Or, as it is being marketed in North America, Cuties, which got lambasted upon the release of its promotional image, where Netflix picked the single worst image from that movie it could have possibly picked and just threw it out there into the world with a terrible description. Yeah. And people lost their damn man- minds because it basically made it look like uh, the pre-tween, you know, step twerking step up. Twerking 11-year-olds. That was the bullet point people came away with. And I would not have blamed them for coming away with that bullet point. But everything I had seen about the movie, if you dug deeper, including its origins, the woman who directed it, tweets from people like Tessa Thompson who had seen it at Sundance where it won some award would suggest that that was not what the movie actually was. And this came and went and burbled down for a second and exploded again when the movie was released this week on September 9th. Because I opened Twitter one day and saw cancel Netflix was trending and went, here we go. So basically the movie's out and people are going off again about how it's the twerking 11 year old movie and sexualizing children and blah, blah, blah. And full, full Helen Lovejoy. We are on here. And someone please think of the children. <laughs> think of them. And I did something that I normally never do. But right. given that we had talked about this before, I held myself to my own standard. So I watched the thing. I'm probably on some sort of watch list now, but be that as it may. So I watched this movie, which is essentially about a girl named Ami, who is Senegalese in France, has no friends who becomes fascinated with these classmates of hers who are, you know, walking around 
dressed in ways they probably shouldn't be dressing, behaving in ways they probably shouldn't be dressing. The main question is, and again, hard needles to thread, and I'm probably going to be clumsy in like even trying to talk about this, because is it a movie that sexualizes children? No. Is it a movie that talks about how society tries to sexualize children? Yes. Mm. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. When you see Ami, she is in a very strict Muslim household. Her father is not around and she's roughhousing with her brother in the apartment. And they, they're trying to like, they may have just moved in to this new apartment and they're trying to like claim rooms. And there are two bed or three bedrooms. And there's a big one at the end of the hallway. And they're like, Oh no, this is going to, they're arguing like, this is going to be my room. And their mom comes up and kind of shoes them away and locks the door and says that room belongs to no one. And they're kind of like, okay. What you find out a third of the way through the movie is Amy, Ami's father isn't around because he's off getting a second wife and that's going to be their room. So she is processing this and the roles expected of women in her culture and seeing these other girls at her school who seem so much freer because they're just embracing, you know, what the culture is giving them, which is a lot of like female empowerment, but it is female empowerment, but it's so based on weaponizing your own sexuality. I guess. And the point is they're too young to get this or to understand it. So the movie will show these dance scenes where they're like practicing or doing whatever and just leaning so hard into the sex part of it. Cause they think that's what the world wants from them. Right. Or that's how you have to be in the world. That is what the world wants from us. And the camera is not shy about lingering in places to make you feel gross yep. and to make you go, Oh God. Ugh. The problem is then all that footage is there for any right leaning QAnon types to cherry pick and throw out there into a montage and say, this movie is garbage. Like it's hard to watch at times when they're like twerking and doing that full lie on the floor, but just like humping with your ass move. Like these are children doing this and it's hard to watch. And when they're cherry picking these scenes, of the final dance sequence, they won't cherry pick the scenes of the audience going, Ugh! Right. Which is clearly visible if you watch the movie. You know, there's one scene where, you know, Ami is trying to figure out how to exist in this world. And at one point she's stolen her cousin's cell phone. And later on in the movie, the cousin notices and is trying to get the cell phone back. And they're arguing. Ami doesn't want to give it back to her. And her solution to the problem is to start undoing her pants. And the, the cousin is like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, they probably won't pick that scene either. They'll pick the scene where she's like, it's a, an 11-year-old undoing her pants. And I mean, shouts to these actresses. These yeah. 11-year-old actresses who just fucking crushed it. But this is a hard movie to watch. And it's not what people think it is. But it doesn't make it... It's not difficult to make it look like people think it is. I guess if that makes sense. So I guess maybe I don't know if I did a good job explaining that or you not. Did. Or what the I think you did a. I, I think you did a great job well, explaining. Thanks, that. Kate. I think the conversation around around the sexualization of children is a very difficult conversation. It's a very and it's a very difficult difficult thing to show without showing it, right? Um, and when the movie as, when the movie ends, Ami has like she's had these fights and fusses with the other the other four. But when the movie ends. She kind of, her mother defends her from getting smacked around by the, like, auntie figure 
who like, you know, you're traipsing around like a whore, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't respect men enough type of thing. Her mother kind of comes to her defense and says, you don't have to come because it's the day of the wedding to the second wife. Like you, you don't have to come. You don't have to do anything. What ends up happening is Ami changes into like more traditional 11 year old clothing, heads downstairs, kind of looks at the reception, walks away from it. And ends up just kind of like jumping rope with these kids outside type of thing. And that's how the movie ends. Like, and I've since read interviews with the, with the director who was like, you know, girls, especially girls of color are not given a chance to even be children. Right. That's what she's talking about. And she puts that in your face and makes it uncomfortable, which if you want to lift those scenes and say, this is pedo bait, it's not that hard to do. Which is unfortunate because that's what people are going to do with it. And that's what they have been doing with this cancel Netflix campaign to the point where like Netflix's stock took a hit this week because people are legitimately canceling their subscriptions to Netflix. Uh, It'll rebound. (laughs) More than likely. So there is, okay. Uh, I'm like, how do I find the angle on the story? So I didn't really think about how much uh, young preteen girls get sexualized. We're not even talking about teenagers, but how much young preteen girls get sexualized until um, this company uh, started a couple of years ago called Yellowberry. And they basically make like preteen slash sports bras um, for girls because mm-hmm. she, this girl would go into stores with her younger sister to get, like she went in with her to get a bra and every single bra in the store was padded. (laughs) There were no like training bras, they Mm. call them. There was nothing. And every single one had padding and was a push up. And she was just horrified and disgusted. And she's like, my sister doesn't, my sister's 11. My sister doesn't need that. My sister's still playing with like Polly pockets. Like, yeah, Right. Um, and so she started a company and one of their policies is they will take pictures of the bras and they will take pictures of the girls wearing bras, but only from the back. Mm. They won't show girls in the bras from the front right? because that was the other problem was the imagery, right? Because if you are a woman who, uh, is, not sexualized in some way or sexy or good looking society doesn't want anything to do with you because that is that is your worth um and it's been like that i mean for so long and and you know things have gotten better but in some ways you can see with um uh, especially with some young people i know and their access to the internet and to youtube um there is definitely this this falling into um, a trap of this is what I need to be like, to be popular, have friends, successful, all of that. I mean, they say it all the time with definitely kids who are teenagers and in their early 20s. There's this like influencer culture that's really, really harmful. There are moments in the movie where they do allude to like the impact of social media, like she wants a phone. She steals her cousin's phone so she can like get on Instagram. And at one point she thinks the way to like get attention for her dance crew is she just straight up, like takes a photo of her junk and posts it. Like there's, there's my value. There's what I can give 
to the world. And that's hard shit to reckon with because it also, the film also acknowledges, I want to call this out as well, that even there are no parents, you barely see them. And it's acknowledged that the one lead, the girl she meets and becomes closest friends with, her parents are like barely around because they're like running a restaurant or something. Um, that they're like, they're 11. They don't have the, they're not equipped with the tools to handle what they are trying to handle. Like there's a scene yeah, where they're and- like practicing in the woods and one of them has like found a condom from somewhere and she's like fucking around with it and she's blown it up type of thing. And the way the other three react is like, you know, you have AIDS now, you have cancer, you're gross. And then it cuts to them like literally like soaping her tongue, like, <laughs> and scrubbing um, her down. Like, and, and this is, this is regional talk in some way, but, um, uh, a little while ago, there was a huge issue with, um, a new sex ed curriculum that the province of Ontario was trying to launch because there have been so many changes with social media and the access to cameras and posting. There have been tons of issues with young kids distributing naked pictures of themselves, which is distributing child pornography. Um, And there are these weird blurred lines and parents are not talking to their kids about social media because a lot of parents of that sort of generation kind of after me, they didn't grow up with the internet, right? They know the internet as like, this is how I can get work done and hang out with my mommy friends, not the sort of like the internet is about sex, right? Um, And so that there's like that separation. And so there wasn't a lot of talk with kids about the respect you have to have for the internet, the fact pictures, they never go away when they're on the internet. Um, You know, um, so, and there was a big backlash because people were like, we can't tell them about the internet, what they're not going to figure out on their own. Right. So, and like you said, because parents didn't know to have those conversations. um, So the school tried to fill that gap tried to say, okay, let's talk about sexuality on the internet and your sexuality on the internet. Um, so it, it's a really, I think it's a really probably very informative, interesting film. And it is too bad that it's the same thing with the backlash on the, on the sex ed curriculum, right? It was like, oh, we can't talk to them about X. They're going to find it on a Google search. There is nothing stopping them. So would you rather have a a really good open conversation about it? The same uh, thing about that Freaks and Geeks episode about pornography, right? One of the young teenagers, the kids, his friends are like showing him pornography and it's really like probably violent. And he can't talk to his parents and he finally like goes to his coach and the coach character is a weird dynamic character because... I don't know if you've ever watched Freaks and Geeks. Not to um, any great degree, surprisingly. Okay. So, well, the coach character, he like comes off as a very, like, you know, coach. He, like, makes you run laps and, you know, suck it up, walk it off. But this young, geeky kid goes to him and is like, can I ask you about this? Because he has no one to talk to about it. Um, and the coach is like, oh, yeah. You know, I don't think they show you the full conversation, but he's basically like, sex isn't really like that, but without 
saying without talking to kids, they don't know. They get things. I remember on the schoolyard how young kids started talking about sex and like what things were. I had a friend who for years thought a blowjob was blowing on a penis. <laughs> like for years, she's like much older than I should have. But it's because we don't, if you don't have access to that information, they'll try and fill in the blanks. If you don't have understanding of what society does to sexualize young girls, and if you don't talk to your young girls about that, they're probably going to end up getting sexualized or, or think sexualizing themselves because, like you said, that's what they think society wants of them. Well, society does want that of them, but stay frumpy, everyone. <laughs> Frump up your best. Wear as many cardigans as you can. It's the, it's the big, it's the big takeaway. It's cardigan season is coming. You can never have too many yeah. cardigans. <laughs> Just wear a big barca all the time. But so, it's a very interesting dynamic conversation. And unfortunately, there are those people from usually from the right. A lot of them from um, immigrant families, from places that are a lot more restrictive. Um, culturally, that think if you talk about these things, then it, it will happen, right? Again, and this is another thing with like Lovecraft Country, where maybe we just should have made the episode about that. Cause now, <laughs> now, now we're running an hour deep, but yeah, no, it's definitely it is more if your knee jerk reaction. And I saw this from people who I've low key thought would have known better, but I'm also not a parent, let alone a parent of daughter, so maybe I would have an extreme reaction like that too. But was not helped at all by Netflix's bungling of the um, promotion. Like they did not have to do that, but it's way more complicated, a notion and way more complicated a movie than twerking 11 year olds uh, makes it seem. Honestly, it reminds me a lot of like the um, kerfuffle back in the nineties about the movie kids. If you remember when that movie came out, like, yeah. And now it's not to that extent because these teenagers were actually fucking in kids or, you know, were depicting sex in yeah. in that movie. But, I mean, it's the same it, – it's a repeat of that idea but a more feminist, like, look at that that notion. But we could talk about it again for another, like, six hours. I don't want to spend, <laughs> spend the entire show talking about it. But I just wanted to hold myself to my own standards because it was burbling up again. And I said people should just, you know – from what I'm seeing, the movie ain't that, so you should watch it before you make your decision. You can still, if you're on the fence that, like, this is sexualizing children, it ain't that hard to back it up, to choose your evidence, to back up that argument, but I don't think it's that simple. And that's what I felt watching the movie. I was like, this is just really, really complicated, <laughs> and I am very happy I'm not raising girls in 2020. It's like life. It is. Imagine that. Life is never that simple. Do we have any other news? Nope. All right. What'd you watch this week, Kate? Um, More Below Deck. Missed it this uh, week. Was it good? It was. It was better than last week's episode. Okay. Um, this week's episode was very good. Um, There are some points that I know that you were, if not going to snort at, there is going to be some guffawing for sure. <laughs> um. Lovecraft Country, uh, most recent episode. People were mad this week. They were mad? Yes. Two, How are they mad? Two-spirit character got off for no reason, just existed to say some shit and die or something like that? I don't know. Okay, well, I mean, that, okay. I can see why people got mad about that. I I 
have some suspicions and I hope they come true. But that I don't want to, because Lovecraft Country is all about like the twists and turns. Mm. Um, I mean, I could just say there are going, I'm going to say spoilers. Um, so I talked to, to senior correspondent Chris about this. We watched Lovecraft. I actually, he couldn't at the time, there was like a lot of tension in that episode. Mm. So he couldn't, he couldn't watch it. He had to watch it later. Um, but he wanted me to keep on watching it. Um, so Jordan, I'm guessing you haven't seen it. Do you want me to spoil or do you want me to leave it? I don't really care. You can, if if I go back to it, I'll get to it at some point. We have, I mean, uh, senior correspondent Chris brought up a, a good question. She is technically undead. Does that maybe mean she's going to come back to life? Mm. Maybe. We'll see. But yeah, and I can see why people, I think the reason she was killed was for the, or they, sorry, were killed was for the shock value. Right. No, I, and not, not them being two spirit and getting killed. The, 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 the way they were killed. And it could have been anybody, but it was just like who did it and why it was done was crazy and the fact it was at the end of the episode so you're like what's the fallout from this um i think that's that's why it was done Um, i think there was also i think i also read in some of like the introductions of that character there were some like i mean but what would a black man in the 50s you know say about that (laughs) black man in the 50s and people in the 50s were not as cognizant of trans issues so if you want to be true to that experience yes they might say you know atticus might say what are you or something like that too a yeah. clearly trans person. Yeah, that's o- that's awkward to watch. Make- that's awkward to watch if you're trans, but it's accurate to the character and the time. So, I mean, uh, again, it's a, it's a real episode of think- hard threading needles, y'all. And I also think that it, the what, what are you was because they were a skeleton. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that probably has more to do with it. And into a person. So <laughs> I would have been like, I, I, and again, I'm seeing this from a uh, hetero cis perspective so yes. maybe i've missed that but that's where i thought the what are you came from right. because they were literally an undead skeleton that formed into a person <laughs> very violently um so it was like fair what point the fuck? fair point um so i think i think that's what they were going for um and and i i don't know what's that character like Again, if maybe there's more of a place for them. I was actually really excited that they were introducing a different character just because I thought that would make, you know, the the dynamic change, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but we'll see what happens this episode. I'm very interested in what's happening uh, this episode. Um, there were some great twists and turns in the last one um, and some very, I really like the Raiders of the Lost Ark seal that this one had the Indiana Jones solving puzzles pieces. I really like that. That's the kind of stuff I really enjoy. So they gave me all of that this week. So that was great. Uh, A lot of the character development, um, relationship development, all of that was great. And two movies I watched, um, Venom, because it's a great film. Again. come to Netflix. So if if you have not seen it, definitely check it out. Um, me walking around doing the Venom voice all day. <laughs> pile of heads, pile of bodies. And then I watched uh, Freaks, You're One of Us, which is a German movie about superheroes okay. on Netflix. I thought it was a miniseries <laughs> or, or a series. I was like, yeah, let's watch the first episode. And Chris was like, yeah, sure. And then it kept then on it was going over. and going. And he's like, are you sure? 
dressed as a series and not a movie. I was like, I am not, and it was a movie. Um, did not end like I wanted it to. It was not a satisfactory ending for me. Um, the movie took a weird turn and was not what I thought it was, which can be fun sometimes, but it did have some great moments, um, and I really liked the main character. So, anyways, if you want a sort of a fun watch, um, Freaks, You're One of Us on Netflix. Very good. Remember, there's going to be subtitles, but it's really fun to hear German because, of course, our English has Germanic roots. So there are a lot of uh, words that you're like, hey, I know that word. <laughs> I can speak German. Um, so, yeah, that's what I watched this week. All right. Oh, oh. sorry. I finished a book. Uh, the Red Power Murders by Thomas King. Thomas King is one of my favorite authors. Right. Um, this is the second book in his A Dreadful Water Mystery series. Um, and it was really, really good. Um, my only issue is if you read a lot of murder mysteries, um, you start to get the beat of them. So I, I solve it maybe two-thirds of the way in. Um, that's okay. Because the writing is so good and the characters are so great that you're like, I'm just going to finish it, even though I'm pretty sure you don't know all the pieces, but you yeah, there's, start to get, yeah. There's definitely two schools of mystery where it's like you either want a whodunner or you want a why it happened. I remember reading, yeah. what the hell is it called? Christine Falls, which is like Booker Prize winner John Banville deciding he wanted to write mysteries under a pseudonym. And I remember yeah. reading it and it was like set in Ireland in the 40s or 50s or something and it was like it's clear immediately why this woman was killed or who killed this woman, but it's the piecing together of why she was killed. That was more interesting. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need to know the who done it. The, the whys are always more interesting to me. So red power yeah. murders, y'all. Yeah. Red power murders. Um, so yeah. Uh, and there's a bunch of, uh, other books. So if you're looking for a good series and a good writer, this would be for you. And then uh, for, as an early birthday present, a friend of mine got me a book that she'd talked to me about, um, but I was like, oh, I'm not going to open it. But I was like, uh, I just want to see. It is a birthday present. She said I could open it whenever, so I opened it. And I'm really glad I did because it's been actually really fascinating. I've, I am not great at reading nonfiction. I'm just going to put that out there. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, fiction for me is like water. So this is like prune juice right like they're good for me and i'll drink it but i'm not like thrilled this has been a great read so far it's called quit like a millionaire no gimmicks no gimmicks luck or trust fund required and it is written by christy shen and bryce lung um they are founders of the millennial revolution which i don't know what that is um but and i know i know because i worked at um, where Jordan works, which is, um, I can't remember what we call it. Major Canadian retailer. Major Canadian retailer and major Canadian re retailer sells a lot of books. And I know there is an issue in our society with self-help books and like think positive and everything will be fine. It doesn't work if you're poor. Um, because all you're thinking about is money, but she it's mostly written by her. She breaks things down really easily, explains how she went from living in rural China, digging through medical waste piles to make toys, to retiring in her early 30s. And basically, she gives you the math. It's all she says. She's like, this isn't about like 
focusing on on the positive and you know making a wish jar and all of that she's like this is going to be hard work um but there is a a calculation you can do to see if you can get yourself out of debt and make a ton of money and retire early that's all there is but the writing style is really good it's a really easy read she speckles anecdotes and she moved to toronto canada um, when she was a kid and just even the differences between the two, um, what, uh, it's nice seeing a perspective of Toronto, um, in a book. It's just always appreciated. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have that same gimmicky feel of, of, uh, a regular financial book or the really dryness of some financial texts. Um, so if you're interested um, I, I'm only, I'm going to say like an eighth the way through. I'll, I'll update later. But uh, if you're interested, I would say pick it up. Um, I've become really interested in finance recently, especially with the talk of universal basic income and how important taxes are and how our economy, because of the pandemic, has taken a downturn and all of that. So I just, I find it really fascinating these days because apparently I'm a bigger dork than I thought. So much bigger. Um, much bigger. Um, but anyways, if you're interested, again, that's Quick Like a Millionaire by Christy Shen and Bryce Young. Anyways, that's, that's what's going on this week. All right. I don't have a ton. I'll try to blur through this uh, quickly. I mean, I t- well, I did spend, you know, 25 minutes talking about one thing I watched this week, but... <laughs> Coin Locker Babies continues to be everything I said it was. I'm probably just going to stop mentioning it till I finish it because it's it's progressing. It's slow going. That tight face is so small, but it's progressing. Also want to shout out uh, the app Drops for my Japanese lessons, which uh, added some kanji units. And previously, the uh, standard method that most people would use for learning kanji was a site called Wanikani, which I hated. I hated Wanikani so fucking much. It did a good job, but it like never really like explained anything. And not that Drops really doesn't either, but Drops also includes, I think I said before once I had an app for like learning how to write and how stroke order like blew my mind. I did not understand stroke order. Drops has included stencils. Like Drops is a thing where it's like five minute bursts of vocabulary. Basically the kanji portions will be like, it'll show you it and it'll tell you, the, the two readings, because there's always at least two, a Japanese reading and a Chinese reading for for each character. And then it'll be like with a lockdown version of the stencil to draw it in the proper stroke order. And then it'll have like freehand ones later on. Those are really hard to do on the bus and I always fuck them up. Um, but it has made learning stroke order and just the rhythms of stroke order a lot easier. I think I said before that the reason stroke order fucked me up was it always seemed to be backwards. Right. You take the letter T, we always draw the stem and then the cross usually. At least that's I do. I don't know. Am I a weirdo? Am I just finding out now I'm a weirdo? Like, no, you draw the stem of the T and then cross it, right? That's how you do it? Yeah. Up to down and then left and then across. Right. Yeah. Chinese characters, kanji are always, always lead horizontally. Cross the T, then do the stem. But when you get right. that, when you have a new character, I'm noticing I know the rhythms more. If you have to draw a square, it's always going to be the left side, then across and down, and then the middle cross and then the bottom. Like... Learning those rhythms has been interesting, and I'm, I'm noticing it. And also, I've been making more of an attempt to just, for absolutely no reason, I've become that person, and are just, like, replying to things in Japanese that are, like, unimportant. Like, 
you know, at at many jobs, you need to, uh, you know, get your bag checked on your way out. It's just an LP thing. So I have now taken to just asking for people to check my bag in Japanese. Boku no kamano mite kudasai. And they go, uh, yeah, you're good. And I say, skade sama deshita. And then I leave. Like, I need to use yeah. it in practice. And then I check on Google Translate and I talk to it. And I learn that I'm right. And I feel good about myself. Yay! That's all really we could hope for, right? Ding! Learning, y'all. Um, I wanted to shout out something that I had seen a while ago and forgot to mention for like consistently for like two weeks now. Kate, have you seen Uncle Roger yet? No, what's that? Uncle Roger is a character from Malaysian British comedian Nigel Ng. Is that how you pronounce the NG? Ng. He's a British comedian. Oh, I know Uncle Roger. Yes, you probably you know, know Uncle Roger. Yeah. Uncle Roger yeah. went viral in July. But I had just watched most of his videos. I had seen the initial one, I think, because it made the rounds on Facebook or Twitter or something. Um, he does a character called Uncle Roger, which is your divorced Chinese uncle. Yeah. And he went viral for critiquing these BBC cooking videos making fried rice. And I'm not going to impersonate him because that will be racist, but... Yeah, and he doesn't actually sound like that. Like, that is a character he does. Yes, he sounds like a, you know... <laughs> quotes he sounds like a traditional you know accent free british person but when he throws it on to play uncle roger it is just his disgust at the choices that people who are not (laughs) not chinese or asian um the three stellar ones are the initial one he went viral for which was when he uh criticized what's her name hersha patel i think so who has has a cooking series on bbc4 or something and her methods for cooking fried rice, notably that she does not use MSG. <laughs> MSG is the king of flavor. M- MSG, yes. Which As Uncle I Roger will tell you repeatedly. And also everybody knows that you need to just do the water knuckle thing. Yes. Like, that's how you measure if you have enough water in the pot with your rice. And he's just calling out how, you know, she doesn't wash the rice. You don't see her wash the rice first. She drains the rice into a colander and he's horrified. I think that's oh. the moment where he puts his leg down. That's always the moment. And he even <laughs> I was so horrified. I put my leg down. Um, so the one where he watches Hersha Patel, there's another one where he watches Jamie Oliver, which is almost yes. <laughs> where he's talking yes. about well, Jamie he Oliver talks- keeps going back to this drawer of spices. And he's yes, like, he's like, no, drawer. nothing good will be there. <laughs> Chinese spices only come in like shoddy plastic wrap. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you saw the one where he works at a restaurant and he's like berating people for their orders. Like that's, that yeah. one was real. Those are the oh, three I would pick. Going. So shouts to Uncle Roger again. It's just it's delightful, and he's apparently become. It's nice to see this dude who apparently, according to his Wikipedia page, um, like is a data scientist and has like a GitHub page, and now he's going to like do comedy pretty much full time. So yeah. shouts to that dude. Um, what else? Shout out Uncle Roger. Uh, I have not watched the fourth episode of The Boys. I did watch the third one that they posted in the initial drop. Uh, you still have not seen it, I believe. I have not. So I have not. I will not go into too much details aside from this one, which apparently was in the trailer, which I did not realize it was in the like last trailer before the season launched. I had apparently forgotten they drove a boat through a whale and had some like chill yep. conversations inside the whale next to the still beating heart. You know I love yep. anything that kills a whale, so <laughs> You're like, I am there for that. Fuck you, whale. Um still still dope. The boys is either <laughs> I recently gave the boys to my friend Leah the Brazilian, who had not seen it, and I was like, "I was like, you're gonna know real early if you're into this." 
Huey's girl exploded and it was like, she's like, oh, this is really that. I'm like, yep, it's, it's really that. All right. Um, I did like the third episode as well. That's what I wanted to shout out. Spoiler free, but the longer Huey stays around with no discernible skills, it becomes harder to rationalize why he's there or why they keep him around or why like mother's milk is constantly going to bat for him type of thing. But they break that down really succinctly, like two lines. Mother's milk explains to Bill, to Billy butcher why he needs him. And I, I bought the explanation. I was like, okay, I'm in for that. Um, the last thing I wanted to call out briefly, because I haven't gotten too much time to dig into it is started, started feeling that video game itch, Kate, you know how it goes. Sometimes you just want to see what things are going for, what the prices are, you know, we're still riding serve till the wheels come off. So (laughs) that payment came in and I was like, well, I'm not really buying records right now, but I could, I could, I could throw like, I could throw a bill at a video game if there's something worthwhile. And I thought to myself, I looked at the prices and I thought, do I want to play the Final Fantasy remake, which I still haven't for like, you know, $80 or do I want to play Yakuza Kiwami 2, the next Yakuza game I have not played for $25. And I thought on it and I prayed on it for all of 15 minutes. And I said, we're going back to Kimuro Choyo. Because apparently this is my autumn game. I think every Yakuza game I've played and I've only played zero Kiwami 1 and now Kiwami 2. I think I always end up playing them this time of year. It's just like my winter, my autumn colder weather game. And it's delightful to be back. What I find interesting about these games is that they always take place in the same environments. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not even like, you know, Grand Theft Auto 3 and 4 both took place in Liberty City, but they could not be more different. Like, every game takes place in Kamurocho, and the general geography of Kamurocho does not change that much. It's still generally like, you know, 15 city blocks. But... I had the timeline open because I wanted to get it straight. Kiwami 2 is... The Kiwami series were the remakes. The, like, kind of, you know, games on steroids of the earlier games. So, the first Yakuza game might have come out in 2005 for, like, the PS3. And then they started kind of redoing them. And they did Yakuza 0, which was a prequel to everything, which came out in 2015. And then Yakuza Kiwami was a remake of the first Yakuza. And, like, deeper, denser version uh, remake of it came out in 2000. 16, and then the last Yakuza game, Yakuza 6, came out in 2016, I believe, and Kiwami 2 came out in 2017. Now, as much as I would love them to just keep Kiwamiing the games, they have not. They've just kind of put a spit shine on 3, 4, and 5. Right. And bundled those as a set. Like, they up the graphics, and they're at 60 FPS now, or whatever. Um, I don't know that they added much to them, so I wasn't, like... Super pumped on drop, even though it's three games, I wasn't super pumped on dropping 80 bucks for that. I was like, Kiwami 2 for 25? Let me get into that. And most importantly, if you know, you know, Makoto back. And I made the mistake once after playing Yakuza 0 of looking up Majima. Majima, you know, crazy eye patch guy. Kiryu-chan, that guy. Fan art of him and Makoto from Yakuza 0, and my heart was torn asunder. It's my favorite story oh, in the games. No. She's the blind girl who he, like, protects on some, like, you know... Luc Besson's Le Professionnel type shit. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you look up fan art of that, and, of course, you know, he lets her go at the end of the game. He clearly loves her and wants to protect her, but it's not safe for them. So he lets her go and just becomes nuts and lives his life as he chooses. And they added scenes in Kiwami 2 to, like, put a bow on that story. Because that wasn't in... Majima was not a playable character in the original Yakuza 2, but they put shit in to this remake 
to tie a bow on some of his stories. So super into that. We know what I love about the Yakuza games is how it does not take itself super seriously, despite having like really intense, you know, great gangster stories coupled with, you know, hostess bar mini games and a mini game where you have to piss apparently. Nani. And you can only play it when you have to piss and you'll have to piss sooner. If you get some drinks. Mm. Wow. Yakuza y'all super fun games. And like I said, they take, what I like about it is they take place in the same environment, but you can feel it getting deeper. Like everything looks amazing compared to Koami one, obviously, but like there are more buildings you can kind of wander into whether they have a point or not. There's more rooting around in little alleys and shit to go down. Like it's just a deeper experience in the first one. So I've really enjoyed kind of poking around and it looks gorgeous and does not make me feel any better about not going to Japan this year. <laughs> Cause I was, in the Osaka environment and like standing on some bridge by the river and watching a boat go by at night and all the neon and glowing and shit. And I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're great. And they're like 25 bucks and you can either play a little bit or you can play for a long ass time. It's very easy to dip in and out and get as much or as little as you want out of those games. So shouts to Sega. And that is really all I got into. Friends, this has been a beefy-ass front half of the episode. I knew this would happen. But when we come back, we still have to talk about the things we brought each other. Because apparently... Yep. Uh, it is Cinematic September, y'all. Apparently. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up indeed. We will get into that when we come back from this break. Welcome back to the show. This is the part of the show where we talk about the things we've brought each other. And because it's cinematic September, we brought each other movies. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get into those movies and their cinematic qualities, <laughs> we have some rules. We do. The first rule is the rule of three. That if the thing comes in parts, we will watch three of them. So the chance has a, you know, sorry. So the thing has a chance to become the thing it's trying to become, but that doesn't apply because it's a movie and you should really watch the whole thing. Yes. Not just three, just not, not three, two thirds of it. Cause then you'd be like, what happens at the end though? Um, unless it's a really long movie, like seven years in Tibet. Nobody needs to finish that movie. <laughs> the second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. That is the rule that says that, we will only talk about the things that we have given each other in front of these microphones. Yes. Which Jordan was trying to break earlier. When was I trying to break it? Kind of. Talked about it. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Anyways, the third rule isn't really a rule. It is a policy, and that policy is that there will be spoilers. So if you are like, no, no spoilers, I don't want to know anything about these very old movies – then I am so sorry, but uh, please don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. We implore you. We implore you to get the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, Grab some tea. I have some very nice Earl Grey right now. Ooh. Twinnings. I learned how to properly make tea the other day. Properly? Yeah. I did not know after all these years. Um. Even black tea and Earl Grey, you need to steep it for at least four minutes before adding the milk and sugar, if well, you take sugar. Well. Yeah. You've been yeah. fucking up for years. I know. I know. And it actually has made quite a difference. 
<laughs> Anyways, we like to alternate. I have no idea what we. I think we did my thing last. No, last week we did. No, we did my thing last last week. So we're doing my thing first this week. Great, sounds good. So, um, I was initially. This is going to be one of those weird things where I have to talk about the movie for like twenty minutes, <laughs> and that's Kate. What she thought? <laughs> no, I'll try to keep it brief, but. I had some surprising revelations about this movie um, before we get into it. I was trying to come up with Crapathon suggestions, and I had written down another Christian Slater movie for Crapathon, which, ooh, can't yeah. wait. Didn't want to forget it. Made sure I wrote it down. Oh, no. And there oh, were, no. like, two Christian Slater movies of that era that popped into my brain, and I wrote them both down. And I was like, well, one, I can't really give Kate two Christian Slater movies. I guess I could make a Christian Slater Crapathon, uh, Christian Crapathon. But the more I thought about the second one I wrote down, I was like, no, nah, I don't really think that's a Crapathon movie. So I got to take you back for a minute, friends. What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time. Back to the heady days of the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> we will recall, I grew up in a town, very rural, very nowheresville, called Amherstburg, Ontario. And I grew up at a time before the internet existed. You're so old. Yes, I know that. The two things that developed my critical faculties, my own taste, the moment where you kind of move from just kind of enjoying the stuff your parents were playing around the house to moving on to things you enjoyed yourself, the two items that really developed that in me were, one, the energy of Detroit across the river and the media I would get from there, the radio specifically, also the television. But more on the TV side was my parents' decision to get cable television when I was in maybe like the sixth grade. So oh my that, God. that brought, that must have been amazing. That brought much music to my house, which was Canada's MTV and was better in a lot of ways than MTV as, it was. as it groundbreaking was. as MTV was. I mean, we could devote an entire episode of this show to just what eighties and nineties, much music was to like youth culture at the time. So that was definitely one part of it. But the other part of it was the movie network which was Canada's HBO. And in, in a pre-on-demand world, it just kind of like broadcast and you would have to catch shit and you'd get this magazine every month that would have a calendar in it and like break down their entire like schedule of what they were showing when. And the movie I gave Caitlin upon thinking about it was a really foundational like movie network movie for me at the time of its release. So maybe when I was in the 10th grade, I was primed in the sights for this movie to appeal to me. Not only the time I was growing up with, but the place I was living in and just the era. I, I was, I was like the key demo without realizing it and really not realizing it until I went from like, oh, this is just a movie I'll give Kate because it's a movie and we're trying to do movies. And I can't really think of a movie I'll give her this to the more I thought about being like, Jesus Christ, this is my murder. She wrote like, <laughs> Look at what I do now every week on this show. And then when we think about what this movie is and what it was saying, this may be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Cambridge Meets Kate probably hates it. But at any rate, <laughs> the movie is Pump Up the Volume, which, fun fact, does not exist anywhere. Anywhere. It does not. It is not available for streaming. There, at one time, was a YouTube playlist of the movie broken up into scenes. It's also on archive.org. <laughs> The, like, free internet library. It's on there. Suspect it is because of the movie, or the music rights. Because this was a very accurate reflection of, like, underground music at 
that moment in history. Like, it's got a Beastie Boys song that, like, was not on license to ill. Yeah. And the Beasties don't license their music to anything, so that's insane. So clearing those up probably be a little dicey. This is a Christian Slater movie that came out in, oh, Lord, I think it initially came out in 1990, perhaps? It came out in August of 1990. It was written and directed by Alan Moyle. Here's another mind-blowing fact about this movie. Okay. Do you know who Alan Moyle is, Kate? Are you familiar with Alan Moyle's other work? Do you know what else he wrote and directed? What? Empire Records. Oh, yeah! It's so funny. When you were talking about that film... I'm being, like, right in the sights of that film. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Empire Records for me. So the motherfucker did it twice because, as established, there is a huge schism of critical opinion between the hosts of this podcast on Empire Records. But his other movie, I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, basically, I'll try – I don't have, like, a like a synopsis post on here um, for – the movie, I just have, like, the full, like, plot, but it's basically Christian Slater has moved. He's a high schooler named Mark. He's moved from back east, presumably New York, to somewhere in Arizona. And he, his parents bought him some, like, shortwave equipment to, like, talk to his talk to his friends back home. But he just kind of, like, does, starts doing a pirate radio show in his basement for funsies. And he goes on these little rants and starts having an impact on the students at his school, the school that he despises. Um, And basically when he talks to a student who is considering suicide and kind of botches his response to it, and we can get into that scene or what have you, how that plays out. Basically a lot of scrutiny, the show goes viral, which is not a phrase they had then, but it's what happens. Yeah. The show goes viral. It gets more popular he starts, you know, in typical 90s underground fashion, like exposing the cracks on this perfect world that you've created type of thing. Until eventually he gets noticed by school administrators, even the FCC. It's the only movie where the FCC is like a, I guess the Howard Stern movie, but like it's rare that you get a movie where the FCC is the big bad. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's the it's big... like the CDC being the big bad. It's ridiculous, but We're... this is the world we live in now. But that's the big threat. And ultimately, you know, his struggle to continue to get his message out while being threatened with shutdown and potential arrest. And there's also a subplot about, you know, sort of a a scam that's been running at the school as well in an effort to maintain this perfect image. Y'all, I'm all, I'm full back in on this movie. This movie presaged the internet. This movie presaged podcasting. This movie presaged the type of woman I would be attracted to for the next 15 years of my life. Like... (laughs) (laughs) cheers cheers to samantha mathis good lord introducing samantha mathis i'd like to introduce her to my parents and all my friends and the pastor to get married to anyway i don't know what you thought of this movie it's very easy it's it could be lame if you're in a mindset where like this is bullshit it could be very easily be a bullshit movie. This is before Heathers, I think, although Slater is basically playing a version of his <laughs> Heathers character. character. Yeah. Years. Yeah. The, this and Heathers were the two like, Oh my God, he's the next Jack Nicholson. Like those were, 
yeah, people were saying that about Christian Slater back then. And the level of rant and cultural observation might have been like pearl clutching in 1990, but in 2020 can be a little like, okay, buddy, we get it. It's the same, you know, why do I hate Lucas and Empire Records? This is basically, Lucas is a nicer version of Mark from Pump Up the Volume. Right. He's still kind of as full of shit to an extent, but he's just nicer about it. Andy Garcia still should have beat the shit out of him more, but be that as it may. So I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated to think of what to hear what Kate thought of this movie because it very easily treads the line between eye rolling and with some gaping plot holes in it that you either get will get stuck in your craw or you can just ride with it. So it's going to kill me because I I just want to talk about this movie for another 20 minutes, but I'm gonna back out the lane. Caitlin McKinnon, yeah, what did you think of this movie? Um, this movie was uh, it was fine. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it's a medium movie. <laughs> it's a medium because it is so nineties, right? Like, and there is a lot of like, there's some eye rolling. There's some, you know, scenes where they're they're like dancing, <laughs> like the teenagers are dancing, and I'm like, ooh, it looks like thirty year olds <laughs> dancing like the way teenagers would dance, like like oof uh there's a lot of oof moments right because it's really nice Listen, it, was, it was an oof time caitlin yeah um uh i liked all the like the performances that was fine i didn't know what the point of this the movie was there's really and not a lot to it like yeah there and 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 i was surprised well not it was weird because he got he gets arrested at the end Yes. The big thing I didn't say in the intro is that, yes, the movie does end with he gets caught and he gets arrested and does not yeah. shy away from that. He doesn't, like, get away and right off into the sunset. Like, he faces the consequences. Yeah. Which, there were two sides of me. One was like, well, that was unsatisfactory. <laughs> and then the sec- other side was like, but realistic. Like, I was like, good for you for making that realistic. But I also wanted to, like, what happened? I would I would have loved one of those, like, you know... Mark becomes a radio DJ for, you know, and this person goes off to become a doctor and the guy with the bleached hair becomes like a defense lawyer. Like I just, I would have liked that or some idea of like what, how, what the path forward was for this community. Maybe that's, I'm asking way too much of this <laughs> film. Um, mostly it's just about, it's about teenage rebellion, right? Yes. But he actually says some things that are very relevant today, which I thought was really interesting. The idea of, of, you know, being in a a society where all the good ideas have been taken, everything's been done before. It's boring basically now. Um, There is no sort of like uh, motivation, but also say things about like, I mean, it's sort of all over the place. Uh, which a teenager is, but talking about also like being a teenager fucking sucks. You have all these people telling you what you should do and how you should act and who you should be. Um, but it's funny. He says uh, the term that a lot of people know now from the tra- uh, tra- Trevor Project, which is it, it gets better. Right. Right. His, um, yeah. His final his final speech is like, you know, high school is the Rubicon you have to pass through to like. Yeah, it's it's suffering, but this is you you will get out the other side, um, and I can attest to the fact that it does definitely get better. 
but yeah, so there were a lot of really interesting points. The part about suicide, um, and and I think it was really good for him to broach the fact like he may have really legitimately not thought he was going to do it, but he also didn't tell him not to. Right. Um, like he took responsibility for that part of it without making it, you know, his own crisis. Um, he get he's very upset, and he definitely has some moments where he's like, I can't do this anymore. But he says, but then you're just sort of like abandoning people, right? So, and then there are, are conversations where he talks about that kid who talks about, you know, that the gay sexual encounter mm. um, and said, says that he's really brave um, and that, you know, he's not, and then the girl who calls about her brother, you know, that she's not messed up. She's in a messed up situation. And the idea is that he's reaching out to teenagers who need to hear that it's okay to be screwed up and not perfect and want to, you know, not listen to your parents and it's okay and it will get better. And if you're lonely, there will be a time where you won't be lonely anymore. Like all of that is very important, especially in those days where we didn't have like helplines and we weren't aware as much when it came to, you know, mental health issues. And when you think about all of the problems he talks about um, at the time were very important and relevant, mm -hmm. and they've only sort of increased. Um, and I wish there was more available to teenagers in that, in terms of that, you know, that pressure. They also, the teenagers right now are, are living through a pandemic, right? <laughs> Their futures are so, like, I know people who are going into like grade 12 and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do after or about to go into university or have started university right. from home. Like the experience that they were supposed to be going through has completely changed. Anyways, the point is all the stuff he was talking about was very relevant. I didn't think it was, it wasn't very eye rolly. There were some point times where I was like, what, what is this movie about? Like, is it about, you know, action? Because they turn it into him, this, it goes from being like this smaller idea to almost like they got some notes back from the from the producers, <laughs> and it was like it needs to have a bigger meaning. And then they turned it into like stuff really was going on with the oh with, with the, the school. school, yeah, and and like they were they were committing fraud basically where they, they were, were uh, kicking yeah. students out, but keeping them on the attendance roll so that they would get the money. So their funding, the their funding would maintain. Yes. Um, which is also really fascinating. Um, and there's just so many ways they could have like things they could have explored more. I was, a, the only time I was really like, ugh, was when he starts dating What's her name? They start get like Nora. Dating. Yeah, and he's like, basically, it's like everything's fine now that I have a girlfriend. I was like, ugh, <laughs> like that was the only time I did that. He's like, well, I liked what he said about you know, starting to heal, being very pessimistic, and then learning to sort of see maybe the bright side, seeing that there's a way through. That's fine, but then when he was like, and I can start healing now because of you, I was just like, ugh, bleh. <laughs> Love. And I mean, if you really want to dig into it, it's hard to see like what his pain actually is aside from like, uh, I'm bored. <laughs> he's bored and he's lonely. Yeah. And I guess the loneliness is a bigger part of it. And he's got the, he's, he's got, he's got, yeah. The social anxiety. 
Yeah, they don't name it though. They don't say like really bad social anxiety, which now we we know is a thing. <laughs> Although having two introverts here being like, yeah. I don't like to make phone calls. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kate and I were talking before Mike about how like for a guy who's socially anxious, he loves to bust out that cordless phone and just <laughs> reach yeah. out and touch to any any and all opportunity. But it's because he doesn't have the opportunity in person, right? This is why the internet is so exciting, right? You could just talk to all kinds of people. You could say things that you would never say to someone, <laughs> which happens all the time, which is our daily lives. Um, don't read the comments, folks. Um, so, yeah, there were parts of it that were great and parts of it that I was like, this is weird. And parts of it where I was like, oh, teenagers dancing. No. <laughs> um, and also Seth Green. Yes, um, totally forgot. Young With a mullet. Young mulleted <laughs> Seth Green. Yeah. But I could see if I had been a, uh, a young person when this movie came out, oh, yeah, I would have definitely, this would have been my film. And, like, yeah, I just didn't, didn't even occur to me that, like, my fascination, you know, doing this show extends from my fascination with radio. Like for whatever reason, I've just always had a fascination with radio. I think even before this movie, although watching this movie, I was like, holy shit, like that definitely had something to do with it as well. But like only child, small town, no TV or internet in your room, no computer. Like that's what you had. (laughs) It sounds like, sounds like I was fucking like talking to people on tin can phones, but like, that's what I had was my was my radio like yeah that's how i felt connected to a world somewhere else especially when it was coming from somewhere as cool as detroit and you could find like you know 92 93.1 or 92.3 or whatever and just hear like weird ass music that you didn't hear anywhere else and definitely weren't hearing you know when you left your room like the radio was like that little dome of solace over you where you would just hear stories and hear music from places and artists that like you would not encounter anywhere else. So I think like the doubling down on like radio as a medium in this movie is probably like really something else that keyed into my brainstem. And like, so as Kate said, he gets arrested at the end of the movie, but, and maybe this is hard to believe, but not, you know, at the end of the movie, you hear all this you know dialogue over the last, you know, pan over the town of different kids in other places, like starting their own radio shows as a, as radio shows. That seems hard to believe does not seem hard to believe given the world we live in. Like, what are we doing here every week? Where, what are, what are every vlogger, influencer, podcaster? What are we all doing? We're just doing what <laughs> we haven't even said his alter ego's name. Happy Harry hard on. Yep. We're all doing what he's doing in the movie, which is just throwing shit out there and not knowing if it's sticking anywhere. And if we're yeah. lucky, sometimes we discover that it sticks somewhere. Maybe it sticks in, you know, fucking Australia and we meet the coolest people in the world we've ever encountered. Or maybe just maybe yeah. we never know, but we just kind of keep doing it because we need to, like, share our voice, as it were. Anyway. And I think and I think also there is that need for connection. Mm. Um, and both of us are, you know, pretty cool with being at home most of the time. But this is the way we connect to the outside world, right? Yeah. And, and that's a big uh, part of that as well, the connection of – you can see it when, you know, at first all the the, the students are very, like, separate. Um, mm. And then they they have basically, like, a, 
all the cars come up onto the like slowly cars start coming to the football field because it's like where you could get the best reception. Um, And then all of a sudden the last bit is where there's just like a ton of teenagers, right? They're all there together. So it's like, it's, you know, that idea of bringing people together as well. So not again, there's also this element of like aging, right? Um, And you can't, it's a movie from the early nineties. It can't help but age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a good window. I feel into like that moment where rap was hitting white folks. Oh yeah. That was actually really cool. Is Oh, I didn't even, there was actually, even though the main characters were white, there was actually quite a bit of diversity at the school. Mm. Um, and then there was like that, the chubby white kid with, all of the like rap star posters like all over his bedroom wall Mm -hmm. i was like just clips like that that was very on point like the random Um, scene of the wood of the kids in shop listening to (laughs) yes ice teas let's get butt naked and fuck uh but but doing the like white 90s kid rap moves yeah that's which is just the shoulder back and forth (laughs) That was very kind of accurate to when you would, like, tape shit off the radio or, like, get your older brother's, you know, somebody's older brother had a tape and you dubbed it and brought it to, like, the playground to, to listen to our recess. The chubby white kid uh, selling tapes for five bucks. Yep. Of that Happy Harry like- Show. That's very, you know. Yeah. It's an interesting, I find it a very interesting movie. It's clearly a relic. I'm not going to deny it's a relic of another time, but. It's in that. That relic depository on the internet. Yeah, that's, that's why. That's why it's there. And I will throw. I will throw the archive.org link on the Twitter feed for this. Uh, for this app, if you wanna. Mm-hmm. If you wanna check it out. Well, Kate, what are you, What are yeah. we? What are we punch kicking? Or kick punching? It's what like are we doing? A seven. It's a seven kick punches. Seven, seven kick punches. That's fair. Yep. Um, also, like, props to Christian Slater for having a really consistent career. I apparently uh, there was a some articles done for the twenty. It's been thirty years since this movie came out, so the, at the twenty fifth anniversary, I think Vice or somebody did some did some interviews about it, and he loves this movie. Um, he's very pleased with his role in this movie, mm-hmm. and nice. he they have thought like, could there be a sequel? You know, in a world of podcasts, what, what would Happy Harry Hardon think of? of a world where now everyone is just doing the thing he was doing in his basement 30 years ago type of thing. What kind of thoughts would, what kind of thoughts would our man have about that? Yeah. Christian Slater has, is having a weird Renaissance right now. There's a huge gap. I feel like in the early aughts where he wasn't really around, but. Well, I was looking at this cause I was curious. I was like, oh, I haven't heard from Christian Slater in a while. Of course I have. He was in, um, uh, Mr. Robot. Yes. Like, <laughs> and I just was like, Oh yeah. And then I was looking and he, he was an archer actually, for a long time. Like, he did voice an archer for a while. Yeah. He was actually really consistent. Um, he's done like television um, movies and stage. Oh. So anywhere you think there's a gap, he's actually been doing He's stage. actually been working? Yeah. So I just, it's, he was just in from 2017, 2018, uh, the stage production of Glengarry Glenn Ross. I was like, I would totally pay to see Christian Slater <laughs> and Glengarry Glenn Ross. Uh, anyways, so yeah. Props to him for having a really, like, consistent career. Well, shouts to your man, and we will welcome you back in November. Ooh, can't wait. Cannot wait for that November offering. But moving on to the thing Caitlin brought me. Yes. 
So once Jordan gave me this, and I was like, I didn't know anything about this film, which is weird because when I was looking up films from the 90s, this came up on a bunch of like top films from the 90s, and I'd never heard of it. I was like, what? How have I never heard of Pump Up the Volume if it's this popular? Anyways, I was like, okay, let's try and find a movie from the 90s. Thing about early 90s, I was like, no. I was like, too bad I gave him Empire Records a couple years ago. Um, not knowing the connection there, of course. Uh, but I was thinking and thinking, and I then went on like like some darker movies from the 90s. And of course, there's Heather's, but I assumed you'd already seen it. Um, and a couple others. And then finally, I was like, oh, Ghost Dog. I was like, oh, but he's probably seen it. He must have seen it. And I was like, well, I can just always ask. And he hadn't. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. I was like, how has he not seen this movie? But anyways. We'll get into that in a second. Another fucking movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> yes. Uh, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, is a 1999 crime film written and directed by Jim Yar- Yarmush? Yar- Yarmush? Jarmush, I think, I think I've always heard of that. I've heard, always Jarmush? heard of it. Jim Jarmush, yeah. Jarmush? Jarmush? Okay. It's some sort of like either like Dutch or German or some sort of European name. I don't know how to pronounce. I apologize. Jarmush. Um, it stars Forrest Whitaker as the title character, the mysterious ghost dog, a hitman in the employ of the mafia, who follows the ancient code of the samurai as outlined in the book of Yamamoto Tsunetomo's rec- recorded sayings, Hagakure. Critics have noted similarities between the movie and Jean-Pierre Melville's 1967 film, Le Samurai, which I can attest to, there are. Um, film girl and- over there. Film. Um, I went through a big phase where I watched a lot of samurai films <laughs> um, and independent films. Um, this is one of them. Um, so basically the plot is that uh, a ghost dog sees himself as a retainer of Louis, a local mobster who saved ghost dog's life years earlier while living as a hitman for the, they say, I love the article says American Mafia. He adheres to the code of the samurai and interprets and applies the wisdom of the Hagakure. Basically, what happens is Ghost Dog does a hit for Louis. It goes a little wrong. There is a person there that is not supposed to be there. And then basically the American Mafia, the group, they are like, well, then Ghost Dog needs to be eliminated. Um, And Louis, who has been working with Ghost Dog for years at this point, isn't not okay with that but realizes it's basically either his life or ghost dog's life um there's other some other characters ghost dog's best friend is a french ice cream man <clears throat> who is amazing and he befriends a little girl named Pearlene, uh and he lends uh the book a uh, rashomon to her um eventually there's like a standoff um, where Ghost Dog kills basically all the mobsters, um, but he doesn't kill Louis, and he doesn't kill. It's basically the daughter of the mob boss who was yes. where she wasn't supposed to be, and he doesn't kill them. So Louis eventually he realizes he has to kill Ghost Dog. So um, he confronts Ghost Dog in front of uh, Raymond, is the French ice cream guy, Raymond's ice cream stand. Um, with Raymond and Pearlene watching, 
Ghost Dog is unwilling to attack his master and allows Louis to kill him. His last act is to give Louis the copy of Rashomon and encourage him to read it. Perlene takes Ghost Dog's gun and shoots at Louis as he flees, but the gun is empty. Ghost Dog dies peacefully with Fémon and Perlene at his side. Um, and then Louis goes away with the Vargo's daughter, who there's this idea that maybe she's the boss now. Um, and then later on, near the very end, uh, Perlene reads the Hagakure. She may become a samurai. Um, what can I say about this film? This film is fucking weird, um, but interesting. Uh, Riza shows up. Um, of course. The music is good. Sorry? Of course. Of course. The music is really good. Music by Riza. Um there are scenes that are fantastic and then scenes that are just okay. Um, but I remember really enjoying it. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting um, take on someone sort of like borrowing a culture, I guess, and a really interesting view of uh, – one culture from another culture's perspective kind of thing. Um, and I really liked a lot of the characters. And it, it feels very independent-y, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So enough about that. Jordan, what did you think? If Jim Jarmusch did not have the dissolve feature available to him, could he have made this movie? What do you mean? Like as an editing technique. Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I've never I mean, seen. Sure, I've sure. never seen. We talk about it all the time about movies that don't like don't get made anymore. I can't remember yeah. the last time I saw a movie that used to dissolve this much. Um, Jarmusch, Jarmusch is a weirdo. Like I had to look up his career to like like. Oh, it's a strange to, strange to make career. sense of him and what people think of him because it's a name I've heard forever. I've heard yeah. his name forever. He's been very notable in the like independent film scene for the decades now. And but yeah. I but I'd never seen one of his movies before. This is the first Jim Jarmusch uh, Jim Jarmusch movie I've ever seen. Despite seeing that scene of Bill Murray and the Wu Tang Clan from Coffee and Cigarettes that get passed around every 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 five years or so, somebody finds that and posts it around again. Um, which I actually thought that was the reason why he made this movie or linked up with the RZA. But apparently, this comes before it, before Coffee and Cigarettes came yeah. out. Um, and apparently, he's considered a minimalist director. I'm like, well, yes. that that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. It's not a very flashy movie. No. Nope. To an extent, it's like, I, I like the bones of this movie, but it's like, I wish someone else had made it. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, and maybe this is just me not being a film person. And maybe I'm just like, you know, so base. I just want to give me the flashy shit. Um, like I see what it's trying to do and I like what it's trying to do. But Kate mentioned that his best friend is an ice cream, owns an ice cream truck. And is Haitian and speaks French and does not speak English. And Ghost Dog does not speak French. So they just kind of have these conversations that are not conversations. And play chess. (laughs) And play chess. And eat ice cream. Um, Yeah. That's kind of this movie. That sounds like a best friend relationship to me. (laughs) That's kind of this movie in a nutshell. Um, And, but like, you've given me movies that were less weird that I was like bored by. And I was never bored by this. I might have multitasked while I was watching it. But. I wasn't necessarily bored and it's weird how I went from not buying Forrest Whitaker in this role to being all in on Forrest Whitaker in this role by the end of it. Like, 
Forrest Whitaker as like cold blooded samurai. I was like, this makes no sense. But by the time he actually gets to talk later on a little bit, like to Proline or just in general, and you see a little bit of him as a character or like, you know, the only thing they know about this dude, the only thing the mafia knows about him is that he, he uses, I keep remembering more weird things as I call up a scene. He uses passenger pigeons. It's a passenger pigeon. <laughs> he only communicates by pigeon, by carrier pigeon. Um, and I yelled like that because when they're having a discussion about him with all the local mob bosses, there's one like, I don't know what his role is or what he's, he's somewhat, he, he talks like a guy who recovered from a stroke. Like he's got hearing aids. Does he? I never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> he was just screaming yeah. shit. Um, I'm sure I thought, I'm sure he had hearing aids. I did. I did snort when he, when ghost dog was killing everyone <laughs> and he like realized who he was and just had a heart attack and died there. <laughs> So all the mob knows about this character is that he uses the pigeon. So they just go around and like look for everyone who ha- who keeps pigeons on the on the roof in Jersey. And Are just, you about to talk about the indigenous gentleman? I mean, that was one thing. <laughs> I was saying it as a plus, uh, bringing it up as a plus because when Ghost Dog comes back and sees all those pigeons are killed, like there's a moment of humanity for him uh one take i read about this movie that i think i think i had read this take and if i hadn't read this take i would have had a harder time with the movie is just that he's nuts like that ghost dog has a character no the forest whitaker character is just legit nuts and that's why uh, i don't know if i just kind of like read this as you're trying to do a samurai movie but with gangsters i might have been like this is ridiculous but if i'm taking it as like no this guy is nuts and trying to live his life under a like you know 700 year old moral code from another country another civilization. Okay. I can hang with that a bit more little touches like, and it's never explained. And I only know it from my own familiarity, like with the genre, like he's constantly waving his gun around in this swooping motion. And if you know anything about samurai and samurai movies and whatnot, that's the flick to get the blood off your sword. Yep. That's what I mean. I'm assuming that's what I took it as. Um, and it's never explained. And, you know, I liked that element and actually made me think that's probably a thing that maybe, Whitaker brought to the role himself. But again, there's just there's just weird shit happening all the time. You said the Rizza shows up. He legitimately shows up to just be the Rizza and walk away. Like Yep. <laughs> that scene is legit. Like they are passing each other on the street. They each say one thing to the other and then they pass. They show Ghost Dog walking away. And then they show the Rizza walking away. And then they show Ghost Dog walking away further. And then I guess one of the weirdest scenes is the one where he's driving. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> Also, oh, well, his, dry, like, his fucking mother box that he uses to, like, <laughs> deal yeah. with any technological problem. You yeah. know, that That's the most yada yada of, like, technology I've ever seen in a movie. Clearly, Jim Jarmusch does not care about explaining how he does things. He just basically has a magic box where he goes up to any car and it goes boop boop and lets him in. And he holds it next to the wheel and it goes boop boop and the car starts. Or he goes up to, like, a locked gate and holds it up and it goes boop boop and the gate opens. I was like, is he dark side? Does he have a fucking mother box? Like, <laughs> um, I did like, and also should be noted, like a big conceit of the movie as well are these, like, again, the dissolve, <laughs> these recitations of, you know, quotes from the Hagakure read by Whitaker that, you know, tie into whatever's happening. Like at one point, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening at this point when he trails that couple going down the alley. To steal Homeboy's suit, basically, because it's time to go to work, and he should be ready for that. Um, the scene I liked the best, actually, was when he was, 
outside the mansion about to start sniping people and like heard a woodpecker and was like using his gun, his sniper sight to like bird watch <laughs> to look at it. Yeah. yeah. I was like that right there. See, that's a nice little character moment. It says, it says a lot about this fellow, but again, it's, it's, it's weird because sometimes indie arty movies are uh, often not concerned with filling in a lot of the narrative threads. You know, they just kind of go on feel or atmosphere or, or moment to moment and, or, put shit out. It's about looking cool. They don't want to put shit that looks cool. Why is the mob boss constantly watching cartoons? I don't know. Maybe I could piece that together more if I knew more about <laughs> filmmaking. I don't know. Um, oh, I did like the scene where he legit did the bit from the cartoon that he was watching where he shot dude through the pipe. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, this from... seems elaborate. Oh, this uh, it actually comes from another film. Oh, does it? Yeah, it's like an homage to another film. There's actually a bunch of pieces of it that are an homage to some films. See, film girl knows this stuff. Film idiot doesn't know any. Film idiot doesn't know any of this stuff. He's just like, this seems very elaborate to just shoot a guy who's <laughs> surprisingly into Public Enemy, which I also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't. And moments like this, when you give me movies like this, I'm just kind of like, what? but I don't regret the time spent. You have given me hour-long dramas where I have been like, I am never getting this time back. I don't feel that way. About that. <laughs> I do not feel that way about this movie. Um, I feel like it's also a seven. It was r- very interesting. And for 99, like, this is a weird movie to get made in 99. Yeah. And probably way out front for, like, I don't know why he wanted to make this movie. I, I should look up some articles if he ever gave any interviews about what appealed to him about this story. It's a very interesting movie. And... I didn't want to say this when Kate gave it to me, but I feel like the most I ever knew about this movie was it was dumb people's smart movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was always people who I people who I knew were who were into this movie were just like big Wu Tang fans and like, oh man, you love Ghost Dog? It's a Forrest Whitaker with a samurai sword type of shit. And I'm like, what is any of that? Also, you guys smoke a lot of weed, but it's. <laughs> It's not that. It's better than I think I was giving it credit for, just my own cultural awareness of it. But it's like it's like a solid seven. Honestly, I would love to see it get remade. Just just remade without the without the uh dissolve. With no dissolve and a little less of the uh, you know, indie film trappings type of thing. Like uh, this doesn't need to be John Wick. I'm not saying I want John Wick <laughs> right as this movie, but just a little different take with a little lightning of the late 90s turn of the century indiness of it no shots of jarmouche though i mean you you are certainly an interesting cat and you make you make interesting films but i tell you where to watch this friends but you can't no you cannot it's nowhere you can find a boot you can find a used dvd on amazon or ebay but we had to uh we had to set sail for that well, friends, I don't know if this is the uh, start or the end of Cinematic September. I'm really just, you know, doing Kate a solid here. I don't even know if I can summon another movie for her to watch. But either way, we'll be back next week. If you have suggestions, you can get at us on Twitter.com slash GeekDownPod. Let us know if there's anything we should be checking out. Or just to say, hey, what's up? Or to look at my current luck in uh, Waifu World Games, because I just had some crazy luck between the segments, y'all. Kate's my good luck it's charm. It's my peach pie. Kate's my luck. Kate's my luck. Euf- it's not either. <laughs> She's my good luck charm. It's not a line in WAP, guys. It's actually delicious <laughs> peach pie. I was eating. Actually, peach pie. So, friends, we will be back here next week. Thanks for hanging with us. It truly does mean the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson. 
My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser, and I hope you will join us next week for another amazing episode of the Down Podcast. Off we go. Jesus. Right, yeah. Off we go. <laughs> time for podcasts. It's time for podcasts. It's going to be fucking great. <laughs>